All right, we are live. Welcome in latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Braddon. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And that right there is Stephen Lassen, senior editor over at Athlon Sports. Stephen, how's it going, my friend? Mike, I am doing great. We Hey, anytime we are getting together for SEC After Dark, it is always going to be a good time. I will tell you, though, that today being National Signing Day was sort of um, yearning for the old signing days of the past. <laughs> you know, those signing days where like from 6 a.m. to... 5 p.m. in the February, there were flips and it was crazy all day. I don't know about you, but I kind of miss those days. Right. I, I mean, I never got any work done back in those days when, when I was not in the media, whether I was working in a data center or uh, in school trying to pay attention. Nothing got accomplished on National Signing Day, but now it's kind of a the early signing period is the signing period. Hell, I, I mean, I think there was like two or three commitments. I, I It was so sad, Stephen. I, I don't know if you caught this, but... 24-7 sports, they had like a graphic of like their live commitments. There was like a three-star and a four-star. And that was it. And, and that was it. And none of them were like SEC related. So I didn't even pay attention to it. But uh, yeah, it's signing day in February is dead. It was a good day for Texas A&M and LSU fans picking up a couple of uh, commitments. Uh, funny story is one of the signing days where I was in high school and it was back when you had to check like the blogs. You had to go to like the yeah, message yeah. boards. And I remember like basically like running between classes to get from one side of the school to the other to get to class early to be able to use the computer for three minutes to see if there were any flips. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, man, it's, you know, it, it is funny to think about how things have changed since then. And I don't know that that, that signing period is going to come back. But, but it is kind of uh, funny to think about how much has changed. And also some of those days where flips were happening, like there were surprises and you had top 100 uh, players uncommitted. So a little, little different uh, nowadays. Well, Stephen, I think we are dating ourselves talking about the, I mean, heck, it was probably dial up internet we were using to check these recruits, but uh, I was <laughs> <yeah. laughs> like AOL instant <laughs> message or two. <laughs> the reason we're here today, Stephen, one reason for each SEC team to get excited about in 2024. Could be a player, could be a coach, it could be just about anything. But there are reasons for excitement for all 16 teams. And a little bonus, could I didn't fit this in the title, but Steven's got a potential concern for each team as well. And I haven't seen his list, he hasn't seen mine, and we're going to see if we agree to disagree on the concerns or not. But... Uh, How's that sound, Stephen? Just going in. I like to go in alphabetical order and just hit on all sixteen teams, if that's all right with you. Yeah, that sounds great. Let's let's get started. I, I think there's uh there's a lot to talk about with sixteen teams now in the league for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. So starting with Alabama, what reason for Alabama fans? Not that they need any. Well, I guess it is kind of a. <laughs> there's there's been reason to to not be so excited, but maybe you could turn this. This fandom 180 here, Stephen, after the greatest college coach of all time retired. Why why should Alabama fans be excited about 2024? You know, I forgot in the intro, we mentioned Texas A&M and LSU picking up a big commitment, but Ryan Williams committing to Alabama today was huge. That's huge, I think, for Kalen DeBoer and especially trying to recruit new territory to win a battle like that. So 
um, so an early offseason victory. But I think if we're thinking about 2024, I think that what would get me excited if I'm an Alabama fan, it'd be Jalen Milrow and Kalen DeBoer's offense. It looks like Ryan Grubb is still going to be the offensive coordinator there. Some rumors he might go to the NFL. There's no doubt that Jalen Milrow has got to get better as a passer. We saw this last year. We saw it in the Rose Bowl against Michigan. Uh, but at the same time, one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the country with the ball in his hand. And now you pair him with DeBoer and Ryan Grubb, two of the nation's uh, top offensive minds. I would get excited about that if I'm an Alabama fan. Yeah, and uh, I'm not sure if you've seen this or not, Stephen, or anybody uh, listening, watching, but uh, Ryan Grubb, he did meet with, I think it was some boosters down in Alabama today, and he said, hey, I'm going to be your offensive coordinator. My name's Ryan Grubb and all this. So, hey, he's down there. He's working. That doesn't mean he won't leave because uh, the moment the Seahawks call him and say, hey, we want you to be their offensive coordinator, he is no longer the Alabama offensive coordinator. But it hasn't happened. And it was the, true, true today. <laughs> right, right. It's it's true today, and hopefully for Alabama's sakes, it is. But uh, yeah, I, I like that. That's that's a good reason for optimism, Stephen. I, I similar vein. Caleb DeBoer, in my mind, elite on field coach, according to uh, CFB Matrix, uh, Matrix Analytical coaching grades. Caleb DeBoer, the best on the field college football coach. In the entire country. Now, that's not as a recruiter. They get they get their own rankings for recruiting and staffing and the coaches they surround themselves with. But they also get a grade for on the field and calendar board, at least according to one non-biased coaching service, is the best coach in the country. I'm, I'm pretty dang fired up if I'm an Alabama hand fan listening to that. Hard to replace the greatest coach of all time. But at the same time, if you're replacing him with Kalen DeBoer, a guy who's got a track record of winning and being successful at pretty much every job in his coaching career, uh, I that would also excite me as an Alabama fan. And, you know, we also we, we talked a little bit about some of the positional needs for this team. They, I think they've upgraded in a big way on the offensive staff. Uh, you know, Jamarcus Shepard as one of the better receiver coaches in college football. You add in Scott Huff. I mean, the yes, there are questions about how they will adapt to the SEC, but we have data points in the Pac-12 of Kalen DeBoer and how quickly he turned things around at Washington. They're not inheriting a rebuilding project at Alabama. They're walking into uh, one of the best programs in the country right now. So I, I the turn the turnaround should be minimal. They should be able to take what they have and be able to quickly mold it into something successful. Yeah. So what is uh, a potential concern you have for Alabama? It's kind of in the same sense of a coaching change. It's the change. It's the amount of change. It's not that you're just replacing uh, the greatest coach in college football history and Nick Saban. It's who you lose off of last year's team. You know, you start talking about losses on the offensive line, Caden Proctor. I know they had some issues at center with snaps, but McLaughlin's gone. And you look on the defense, uh, Dallas Turner, Terry on Arnold, Kool-Aid McKinstry. Uh, you also the receiving core. Your top three weapons from last season, Nye Black and uh, Isaiah Bond uh, and Jermaine Burton are all gone. Caleb Downs uh, transferring to Ohio State. So I think it's just the sheer amount of talent that Alabama loses combined with the coaching change, uh, all that new mixing together. How does it all, how fast can it all come together for Alabama this year? Yeah, I, I hear you, Stephen, and particularly on the defensive side of the ball, considering every prospect there came in to be coached by Nick Saban. Now they're going to get coached by Kane Womack, 
and his defensive crew, how do they fit? That that'll certainly be an issue. But I this this is a one of the dumbest comments we've ever got on this his, the history of this show, Steven. Shout out Citizen X. You I mean, this is out the world. He he's he's critiquing Kalen DeBoard, saying, Last time I saw him on the sideline, they was getting cooked. And he's talking <laughs> about Washington in the national championship. Steven, you run the Athlon Sports magazine. And and not that the Athlon, you know, we we certainly, you know, I respect it, and and many others do. But I, not that it should be the barometer for the for the end all be all. But where where was Washington? Can you give us off the top of your head where where did you have them in the preseason last year? They were eleventh, I believe, or they were right there, tenth or eleventh in the right. preseason rankings. Let, let me throw out a thought on the national championship real quick. I think you have to give Kalen DeBoer a lot of credit in game. Think about how that game started for Michigan. And it looked like Michigan was going to steamroll Washington after the first couple drives. They adjusted, and then mm-hmm. you know they were able to come back. So I, I mean, speaking of the national championship, I think DeBoer and that staff did a nice job of adjusting in that game. Right, but just how stupid is it to sit here and say, "Well, he lost in the national championship. He can't coach." To, and this is not again. They weren't even preseason top ten. I don't. I don't think. By any metric, I mean Oregon. I think was was widely considered to be the favorite in the Pac-12. USC got some love, but the fact that this guy beat Texas, beat Oregon twice, and we're sitting here critiquing him in the national chase. I mean, how stupid can you be? Come, come on, we we gotta we gotta be better than you. You lose in a national championship, you can't coach at all. I mean, that that is just that's all. I mean, Citizen X should is Citizen Dumbass is what he is right there for that comment. All right. <laughs> He lost in the national championship. (laughs) What are we talking about here? All right. uh, How about uh, Arkansas, Steve? One reason for optimism for the Razorback. They they need some optimism. Let's. What what can Arkansas fans be excited about? The return of Bobby Petrino, Uh, an offense that struggled a lot last season, was the team's biggest issue. Exiting twenty twenty three, still have question marks along the offensive line. Obviously, need to be able to run the ball better. But we know for all the baggage that Petrino comes with as a head coach, he can coach some offense. And for a situation that Arkansas is in, being desperate to fix this side of the ball, uh, Petrino's a pretty strong hire considering the circumstances. And also, I think his work as the AM offensive coordinator later in the season when they had to go to Jalen Henderson late, I thought was pretty impressive. Uh, kind of being able to fix that offense on the fly with some of the injuries they had. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you, Stephen. I, I had Bobby Petrino as well, but for a different reason because I think he is clearly motivated to redeem himself. Yeah, and the fact that he was a head coach and he said, "Hey, I gave that up." I know it was at a lower level, Missouri State, but he gave that up to temporarily be UNLV offensive coordinator, and then obviously got the Texas A&M job. And the fact that he that he worked. I mean, people, I don't know what in the hell they're thinking, but they they think he's over the hill. When he improved Texas A&M's overall points per game by over by over 11 last year in his only season in College Station, but he's staying in the SEC. He's motivated to redeem himself, and, and probably selfishly, Stephen, he's trying to be a head coach at the highest level. And I think the fact that he has an opportunity to redeem himself to all the people that he burned at Arkansas with all the the scandal and everything like that, I just think Bobby Petrino more than probably any coordinator in the country has got a lot to prove and a lot of redemption. And for fans, for fans thinking that, uh, 
you know, this this may be a dead man walking situation with Sam Pittman. I mean, these guys are motivated to turn this thing around, and and I think that is that is something to be very optimistic about. I think if you go back to the start of the season last year, you know, Arkansas had those blowout losses to Missouri and Auburn later in the year, but before then, despite all the offensive troubles, I mean, they went into Tuscaloosa and pushed Alabama. They gave LSU all they could handle. I mean, I, I think if I'm an Arkansas fan, probably the reason to be optimistic would be that that those losses last year are in the rearview mirror. And hiring Petrino sort of added this little bit of offseason momentum. And they've been a tough out. We saw it last year that before things kind of went downhill, uh, they were feisty and they were tough. The rest tough out for the rest of the SEC. So I think a very hungry, very motivated team led by a very hungry, motivated coordinator with something to prove uh, could, could spell good things for Arkansas this year. Now, what is a concern? And I, I hate to say it. I mean, there's probably a lot to pick from here with the Razorbacks. I think you have to stay on the offensive side. I know it sounds weird to be excited, but also concerned, but also I think it's fair to wonder offensive line, how much better can this group get this season? I mean, they brought in four transfers, um, you know, Anytime you bring in offensive line transfers, some different conferences or different leagues, I wonder the level of play they can get to in the SEC, especially at the high level you're going to need in terms of talent. Uh, the quarterback position, too. You know, does Arkansas have a difference maker at quarterback on the roster? Is it one of the transfers? Is it a freshman? Uh, so I think fair to be excited, but also the unknowns and concerns of the quarterback and offensive line position. Yeah, I mean, I th we've reached a point, Stephen, where we we can't just give a Sam Pittman coach team the benefit of a doubt on the offensive line, because I, I was kind of we've kind of said that to death, and it's not worked. Now they've changed offensive line coach, clearly, offensive coordinator. We we've, we've talked about that already at length, but you know you have to figure that some of that newness, the transfers you alluded to, bringing these guys in, maybe we can refresh, restart. And retool because because we all know Sam Pittman he's he's done it before he's he's developed some elite offensive linemen can they get it done that is that is obviously probably the biggest concern because that again I think it's more scheme than anything last year that killed them but the offensive line didn't help particularly late in the year when they fired Dan Edos it it, it was still a, a problem outside of uh, the Florida game maybe some offensive staff cohesion can really help this team in this roster this year. You know, if there was some, uh, you know, battling of personalities or schemes with Enos and the other assistants, you probably don't have that this year. Now, Petrino, obviously we know the personality, uh, he and Jimbo, I'm sure didn't get along <laughs> great. Uh, but I, I think, you know, like we said, the redemption, the motivation, and also I think maybe a little bit more consistency, everybody's sort of pushing on the same page could be a big deal. How about this comment from Jeff? Arkansas can't fire Pittman. Missouri needs an automatic SEC win. I've man, that has got to be painful as a Razorback fan to hear because you expect Missouri. I don't know why, but they expect Missouri to be an automatic win, but it has not quite gone that way. All right, let's move on, Stephen. Auburn, reason for optimism, year two under Hugh Freeze on the plains. I think you have to hope that coaching continuity. And I don't mean coordinators. I mean, just Hugh Freeze's <laughs> second year translates to better results. Um, I'll also throw out that I think the skill talent that Auburn has, whether it's Jarquez Hunter, 
Um, I thought he got he picked up a little bit of steam late last season and also Cam Coleman at receiver. So I think it's kind of a combination of you feel that maybe there's a little bit more stability despite the coordinator changes in year two and also the, uh, the potential for the skill talent to be a little bit better this year, maybe. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. How about this, Stephen? Mine's a little bit different. An influx of young talent from the high school ranks just signed a top 10 class. Specifically, I'm looking at guys like Cam Coleman, the five-star, Walker White, four-star receiver, five-star edge, Amarius Williams, four-star edge, Jamonta Waller. I mean, getting these guys. Now, obviously, the problem is, can these guys, can they all contribute? And at least, can they contribute at a major level? That's somewhat doubtful, but we need help, particularly at the skill position uh, positions across the board, particularly on offense. To, we need a more explosive offense at Auburn. And I hope that we get it from some of these new pieces. And, and I think that is that is the biggest selling point right now for Auburn is I still, I, I don't know what to make of them. Steven, I, I go on shows and they're like, Auburn's a, a team to watch, right? And I'm like, uh, I, I, I just don't know. I mean, could they break out? Certainly. Could they disappoint? I'd buy that too. But I, I think best case scenario, obviously have a have a good solid season, but a lot of this young talent emerge, and then you're very, very excited about year three with with hopefully year two of, of the your current coordinators with that continuity. I, I think that's that's what you're building towards if you're an Auburn fan. Yeah, it feels like the foundation isn't quite there to be able to make that leap into the Texas, Tennessee, Georgia, uh, LSU, Ole Miss territory. It feels like they could kind of settle in into that second kind of tier just outside the top 25. At least that would be the hope. Um, it, you know, also, I think the hope that the second year has to bring a little bit more game to game consistency. Like it's great to challenge the Alabama, Georgia, but to no show against New Mexico State or Maryland. Those are the kind of the week-to-week inconsistencies I think you'd like to see worked out if you're an Auburn fan. So what is your biggest concern for the Auburn Tigers? Kind of goes into the first one and what you were saying at with the skill talent, and that is quarterback play. Uh, This is one of the most intriguing quarterback situations to me in the SEC for this season. Uh, Peyton Thorne, you look at the numbers uh, last season, he was 12th in SEC games in quarterback rating, 6.4 yards per attempt. So uh, one of the lower rated quarterbacks in the SEC, I think his mobility ended up being a huge asset in some of those games, but really for Auburn to take a step forward, they need better receiver play. They need more, everybody on the same page offensively, uh, but the quarterback position really holds the keys to it all. So is it Peyton Thorne? And I think if it's not, the next question for me is how fast is Walker uh, White being able to get ready to, to be that kind of quarterback? Yeah, and I don't know if you saw the comments from Hugh Freeze recently, Stephen, but he's going on about how, you know, his belief in Peyton Thorne and, and why was everyone pushing him to add a quarterback, this, that, and the other. And it kind of sounded like what we got in the preseason about how how excited he was about how Peyton Thorne's like on overdrives, got Hugh Freeze on speed dial, and they're 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 in constant communication and how this is gonna, you know, this is gonna be this is gonna work out so well. And then it hit the field and it was anything, but you know what I mean? So it's, I, I don't know. I get it. I mean, you're, you, you, he's your guy. I get it, but we can't live in an age where we're afraid of competition either, because 
we didn't have competition and that's why we put the product on the field we did and we didn't have any other options you know what I mean I mean they were using Robbie Ashford but clearly that aside from his running ability he's he is not the passer that could threaten to take Peyton Thorne's job and just sitting idly by that could be a huge huge mistake I really do think I, I don't think the fans pushed Hugh Freeze to make a um late charge potentially at cam ward if the reporting is to be true you know auburn got nervous about the quarterback situation after the music city bowl uh, so I, to, on hughes comments they really don't like it. auburn was probably involved with some quarterbacks this offseason now as we go into the spring window i'm sure there will be a couple guys who pop into the portal um the question is you know peyton thorn was a late ad last year can you realistic realistically get a high profile transfer to come in that late learn the system and be ready to go you know uh they might have what they have this year at this point mm -hmm. all right how about the uh florida gators steven is another one they they desperately need reasons for optimism i got a good one I'm, I'm curious to hear what your your optimistic outtake is for the gators i am going to go with a player that i enjoyed watching last year who i don't think got enough credit and that is Eugene Wilson at receiver. Six touchdown catches, uh, 61 catches overall. Not a ton of, of obviously big plays in the high yards per catch average, but we see every year there are freshman receivers who have a pretty good year who break out the next year. So I think he's a guy that he's going to be uh, maybe talked about as a breakout candidate this offseason who could become the go-to guy uh, for Florida. Keep in mind, Florida was a top 30 offense last year by some of the advanced metrics. Uh, so there's a, there's the pieces there for this offense to be solid. Once again, how about this, Steven, I, I, this fired me up just thinking about it, getting ready for this exercise, but the quarterback development of Billy Napier, I can't for the life of me, I can't think of the guy's name that he had at Louisiana, but he was pretty decent. Come in here. I know Anthony Richardson was inconsistent, but Heck, he got him to be a top five draft prospect when Anthony Richardson was on no draft boards leading up to his junior season. Graham Mertz, I think it was universal that he was the 12th, 13th, or 14th best quarterback in the SEC. He was significantly better than that. And, of course, the addition of DJ Lagway, who, who many, most, I should say, have as the number one quarterback prospect in the class. So just think about... If Mertz continues to progress, if Lagway comes in and he lives up to the potential, I mean, we could have a loaded quarterback room with a head coach, play caller, that really, really knows how to develop these quarterbacks. And if nothing else, you know, we're, we're, we're likely going to have shortcomings elsewhere, not at receiver like you mentioned, but elsewhere. The great equalizer is always a great quarterback, and Florida may have two this fall. I mean, if you would have told me that Graham Mertz would be a top half quarterback in the SEC this year, I, I'm not sure I would have believed it last year after what we saw at Wisconsin. But I also think that speaks to the job that Billy Napier and the staff did to get him to that point. I mean, he was rated maybe the worst 12th, 13th best quarterback in the SEC, ended up becoming a guy that could be a fringe uh, preseason all-conference candidate this year. SEC-only games, Florida was fifth in the conference in scoring. So despite all that transition, despite the quarterback questions, they still had a pretty productive offense uh, last year. And so I think that would, if I was a Florida fan, that would give me some confidence that a, a 
Graham Mertz offense that could take a step forward in his second year, or Billy Napier is working with maybe the most talented quarterback that he's had. And there's probably no maybe about it as far as uh, being the head coach at Florida and Louisiana, because Lagway could be that guy, uh, the most talented quarterback he's worked with as a head coach. Now, here's another one. It may be easy, but <laughs> biggest concern for the Florida Gators. Defense. Uh, <laughs> I, I think optimistically, I know this is a concern section, but we'll be optimistic here. Miles Graham and LJ McCray, plus a lot of returning talent and Ron Roberts working with that staff. There's hope for improvement, but when you give up almost 34 points a game in SEC contest and you go down the list of the where this defense ranked it, whether it was sacks, rush defense, pass defense, there wasn't a lot that they did right last year. Is that going to be enough to turn a corner uh, for Florida this season, given their very difficult schedule? Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I, obviously, uh, defense is is a red flag, and I, I we'll get we'll play these clips at, on a, at a later date, Stephen. But did you see Billy Napier today said, you know, we brought in Ron Roberts. He's going to be head coach of defense. He's going to coach the coaches, and the fact that we have a defensive coordinator who needs coaching from another coach. I mean, never in my life, Stephen, do I think I've seen a you know, where, where one side of the ball is not led by either the head coach or a coordinator, it's someone else. That does not exactly speak highly of, of Austin Armstrong, in my opinion. Yeah, I think last year's results probably speak to that, too. Um, <laughs> maybe he wasn't ready to be a high-level <laughs> SEC defensive coordinator. Um, I, I regarded as a very highly rising star behind the scenes the last couple of years at the various stops, but... Might have been too much too soon with a defense that had a lot of uh, turnover and a lot of moving parts. So I think fair to um, fair to give him a little bit of a pass on last year. And that's why I think getting Ron Roberts in there is probably a good thing. Uh, his track record of being a defensive coordinator at some of these stops is, is pretty solid. So um, I think it's a good thing for Florida, despite the curious uh, head coach of a defense and titles of all this. <laughs> all right. How about uh, Georgia, Stephen? Uh, there's so, so much to be optimistic about. I'm kind of curious, what is what is the one thing that, that is on top of your list for the Georgia Bulldogs? I went with something basic. I think it's the return of Carson Beck for this reason. Georgia is going to be the preseason favorite because they have maybe the best quarterback in the country coming back in Carson Beck. So you're the, maybe the top quarterback in the country passed on the NFL you're going to be the preseason number one. That alleviates maybe any concern you have about losing Brock Bowers, uh, losing some of your other receivers, Lad McConkey. So you've got your dependable, you've got your answer at quarterback, and that's Carson Beck. Yeah, uh, you know we're hit on the same thing here, Stephen. I, I, that's exactly what I have for Carson Beck, the year two of Carson Beck. But I also threw the caveat, and I, this may drive some fans nuts, but year two of Mike Bobo. Who I get there was no issues with him till we lost a, a game and then he was that he's always easy to uh poke fun at. But year two of Carson Beck, year two of Mike Bobo, quarterbacks and offensive coordinators coming back. There's that second year bump. There's one other team that I kind of have circled we've not hit on yet that I think has got the potential to have the best offense in the country. But if it's not them, it may very well be the Georgia Bulldogs with all the talent, 
with year two of Carson Beck, year two of Mike Bobo running the offense. Uh, I, I think that that is also what I'm kind of most optimistic about. So it's kind of interesting that we're, we're on the same page here. Not to mention if, um, you know, there are some holes to fill along the offensive line, but this offensive line still probably one, one, two, three, the best in college football. And they went into the portal to fill some of those needs, Trevor Etienne to fill in for uh, the two running backs. They lost also a couple key pickups at receivers. So you've got your, you got your star quarterback coming back year two plus the portal additions will fill any, any of those needs around him. That, that should, I think that's a, another reason to believe this Georgia offense can maybe take it up a notch next season. Now it's easy to pick a reason for optimism for Georgia. I mean, there's so many, but I've, I, you know, I struggle to even think about what is a concern that you have for Georgia. So what'd you come up for the Bulldogs? I was going to ask you if you had a really hard time coming up with one <laughs> because I did, uh, I eventually settled on the secondary. Uh, I, you know, I think all concerns with Georgia are pretty small. Obviously, they lose Brock Bowers. They have Oscar Delp. You know, they lose Lad McConkey. We talked about the transfers. Kamari Lassiter, Tyke Smith, Javon Bullard. They're all pretty good players. Um, maybe all Americans in some in some uh, you know some publications this postseason. Missing all three of them, you're going to play a lot of good quarterbacks too. That's my concern level is pretty minimal. <laughs> I have to find something here. <laughs> yeah, it, it, this kind of reminds me of a conversation I had a long time ago, Stephen, on this show. I think it was with Clint Lamb, who covers Alabama for on three now. But I, this was leading up to the 2020 season. And I said, what's the biggest concern for Alabama? And it took him a while. And he sat here and said, punter maybe <laughs> I mean, that's and not that georgia has a bad butter but that's basically where we're at with the georgia bulldogs you know what yeah uh, i mean you, you have to almost squint uh <laughs> right. you know like dig really deep to find a, a concern for this team maybe in a big picture sense the path to winning the national championship is probably going to get a little harder because mm -hmm. you're adding more variables of more games um, but they're still you know, the best team in the country right now. Well, now I've heard this argument though, Stephen. I'm I'm kind of curious to see where you align with the expanded playoff. It gives hope to others because there'll be there'll be more teams in the dance. But people believe that teams deepest, more talented teams, it's going to favor them. Heck, it did already. But do you think that'll be a massive advantage in a 12-team playoff? era because these teams like Georgia, God forbid, you know, loses a key starter. They've they've got a very talented backup and, and so on and and not just at one position, but probably at many critical positions. Do you do you think it favors teams like Georgia? I think it favors teams like Georgia. I think it favors teams like Alabama, potentially Texas. I think my concern if I was Georgia is in the past you had to win two games to win the national championship. Now you're adding another game. So you're, the season is longer, right? It's just adding variables to a very chaotic sport. So that would be my concern is you are the best team, but now it's going to be a little harder to get there. Right, right. I gotcha. All right. How about Kentucky, Steve? A reason for optimism for the Kentucky Wildcats. How about Dane key and Barry on Brown, two guys who probably don't get enough national attention, dynamic playmakers, obviously, 
uh, on special teams as well. So a lot of questions right now because of the quarterback situation. Brock Vandergriff, how good can he be? Who's going to be calling plays uh, for Kentucky? But I think fair to be very excited if you're Kentucky about those two receivers coming back. Now, I went the other side of the ball, Stephen. One of my favorite players in, in the entire SEC, Dion Walker on the defensive line. I, I love that guy. All SEC should – heck, if he wasn't All-American, he should have been, in my opinion. He's, he's one of the best out there. And, you know, when you have that unique game record on the interior of your defensive line, it can just completely change the dynamic of your defense and make it's just so hard to block. You know, it's as crazy as it is to say, you could kind of scheme around an edge rusher, even a dominant one potentially, but it's it's very, very difficult to scheme around someone that is wrecking the middle of your defense on a consistent basis. So uh I like your selections. I love those Barry Brown and Key, but Deion Walker for me, he's just he's just such a freak. I hate to keep using that word underrated, but it does feel like Walker is really underrated. Uh, 12 and a half tackles for a loss last season probably flew under the radar nationally. I don't think he'll do that this year. I think he'll probably be a preseason All-American. And also adding Jamon Dumas Johnson as sort of the second level cleanup guy, you mm -hmm. add him to work behind uh, Walker. That's a pretty good, uh, that's a pretty good place to start if you're Kentucky's front uh, defensive front. Right. And so what is your concern? I'm, I'm Curious to know if we have the same one, because I I have a feeling we might for the Kentucky Wildcats. I wrestled with two here. Um, there's the whole A&M thing that's still kind of weird <laughs> uh, for Kentucky. But also there's just the unknowns right now offensively. You've got a new play caller taking over for Liam Cohen. Who is it going to be? You also have uh, the quarterback situation. If you look at the last... Yeah, this is Brock Vandergriff will be like the third transfer to start. Will Levis and, and Devin Leary. He's the least proven of them all at this point of, the, of his career. So it'll be an, an interesting year uh, for Kentucky's offense. Hmm, interesting. So we got something actually different here, Steven. I went with the re return of Eric Wolford, who I question how good of an offensive line coach he is. Will the big blue wall make a return? Because they have been missing in action for several seasons here, Stephen, and, and I think that is a strong, strong indicator of where we are as a program because it seems like we are in decline. It's not, a, not totally. I mean, heck, they were they were playing a, in a bowl game against Clemson about two months ago, so it's, it's not like they're awful or anything, but that's the DNA of Mark Stoops' program, or at least it was, and that has been missing. We've been we've kind of been playing around the offensive line, and had we had a strong offensive line the last couple of seasons, Kentucky may have been a dark horse SEC title contender. But they flat out they've been bad more often bad than good. Add in the loss of uh, Ray Davis. As well, you know, I think Chip Tranium is going to be a solid player, but I think Ray Davis is, yeah, I think he's just a better overall running back. So they're you're you're losing something there, and also I think fair to wonder sometimes too, like Davis probably made up for some of the question marks on the offensive line, considering how good he was. So I, I think the optimist in me would say they've got a lot of guys back. I'm a little skeptical of the Wolford hire too. I don't think you know Zach Yenzer, their former offensive line coach, did a great job. Wolford was working with more talent at Alabama. They weren't that good. Right. I wonder. 
It's curious. All right, how about LSU, Stephen? How what's what are you most optimistic with the LSU Tigers? How about Blake Baker taking over Ooh. as defensive coordinator. Uh, you know, LSU paid big time money to go out and upgrade this defensive staff, and man, uh, was it needed because there is no reason that LSU's defense should give up 33 uh, points a game in SEC contests. Just too much talent uh, at LSU. Yes, they had some personnel concerns in the secondary, but very strange for me to see LSU at the bottom of the SEC in defense. So I think given his track record at Missouri, LSU just hired one of the best defensive coordinators in college football. Yeah, and how about shout-out David? Stephen, comment of the day so far on the show. Nick Saban is taking Butch Jones to ESPN alongside him as a coffee analyst. So <laughs> I, I appreciate that with David. Uh, but no, I, I, I agree with you, Stephen. And I, in a similar vein, Brian Kelly not being content with 20 wins in two seasons and, and one division title and essentially blowing up his entire coaching staff because they weren't getting it done. Because winning 20 games in two seasons is to be celebrated at a lot of places, but that's not the bar for LSU. And that's not what he said when he took his job. He said, I'm coming down here to win a national championship. And, tech, you know, they've fallen short. Again, I'm not saying he should be on a, any kind of hot seat or anything, but he's fallen short of that lofty expectation. So I, I think this is a great sign. For LSU fans, that that he's sitting here and, and look taking a hard look in the mirror and saying we've we've been good, sometimes very good, but not elite, and and we're blowing this thing up to get there. I think it's so, a great sign, yeah. Mm -hmm. But there's there are some concerns. What what do you think is the biggest concern here? I'm actually going to stay on defense. Um, obviously, losing. Jaden Daniels losing the two receivers um, is significant, so there will be some offensive regression. But Brian Kelly said it today at his press conference with the defensive line. They may have to flip some offensive linemen to the defensive side. Still going to go after some guys in the portal to maybe fill some of those voids up front. The defensive line could be a real uh, spot of concern for this team. So I, I will be very curious to see if they can land a couple transfers maybe after the spring that solidify this group uh, because – I think with the returning personnel and the transfers they've added in the secondary, they're probably going to be a little bit better back there. Um, but still, I think that line is still going to be a concern. Mm -hmm. All right. How about uh, Ole Miss, Stephen? What is your most optimistic? There's a lot to like about Ole Miss right now, but what is one thing that stands out to you? I might, I'm going to be a little kind of big picture with this one. I think it's a roster that is built to win right now. You have a starting quarterback in Jackson Dart that is one of the best in the SEC. He's one of the best in college football. You've got Trey Harris coming back at receiver. Um, you've brought in a transfer class that's one, two, uh, the best in college football with defensive difference makers in the second year of Pete Golding. So roster built to win right now would be my uh, reason to get excited if I'm Ole Miss. So this was the team I was talking about, Stephen, earlier that I kind of teased. I think Ole Miss has the potential to be the best offense in the entire country. With Jackson Dart back being a starting quarterback three years in, in the SEC, that's basically unheard of. You got Trey Harris back, bringing in Juice Wells, bringing in some offensive linemen, bringing back some offensive linemen, bringing back 
I know Judkins is gone, but they're bringing back other runners. With Kiffin running it, Charlie Weiss help, where he, he's growing a big-time reputation in coaching circles as being a real asset to this Ole Miss offense. I think Ole Miss, you know, if, if not the best offense in the country, I mean, you're splitting hairs here, but, I mean, the highest scoring and, and, and with the pace they go with and everything – I think Ole Miss is is in a position to basically outscore pretty much everyone they play, and that may have to be the the method that uh, that if they were to win an SEC championship, if they were to make the college football playoff, that's going to be their ticket. They're not going to it's not going to be a defensive slugfest. It's going to be high scoring affairs, but there's probably not a better offensive unit in the country than than the one in Oxford right now. You could, I think you could also make the argument that if their offense is as good as we think it is, and it's probably going to be uh, based upon the returning personnel. I like some of the offensive linemen too. They brought in from the portal to solidify a group that was probably inconsistent last year. Mm-hmm. You don't need a defense that's first in the SEC and, and fewest points allowed. It goes back to being timely and just finding ways to get off the field on third downs in the red zone and forcing a couple turnovers with that offensive firepower that you have. But that being said, hey, we just pumped them up, Stephen. What's a what's a concern you have for Ole Miss? I think it's replacing Quinshaw Judkins. Uh, now, I understand the argument and certainly subscribe to the theory that running backs are easy to replace of all the positions. You know, you, replacing a left tackle is a lot harder. Quinshaw Judkins is pretty special, though, and Logan Diggs and Ulysses Bentley are going to be a solid tandem. You know, is are they going to be as effective as Quinshaw Judkins? That would be my reason for concern yeah and particularly i guess a high level competition they're going to face in the sec down the road potentially in the playoff those kind of difference makers are tough to to replicate to your point so yeah i'm right there with you but i i think i think i'm a little bit more concerned about the defense and how they would stack up. Now they got some good players over there, and they've added some via the portal, obviously. But uh, I think I think D because again, I still think they're going to outscore everybody. So how th- there's going to be a game or two where the defense probably going to bite them, kind of like uh, we have. <laughs> I'm thinking of Tennessee, South Carolina now. Hopefully it's never that bad. You know what I mean? But those games will catch up on you, even if you do have the best offense in the country. Defense in this league, it'll get you. Yeah, you just got to find a way um, to get timely stops. Like we said, if you're Ole Miss, I think the optimism would be that, you know, Pete Golding in his second year can automatically you would expect some improvement from year one to year two. But now you're adding some guys like a Walter Nolan that can be a difference maker. But, you know, if this defense doesn't work out and it's playing at the level it was last year, getting to the playoff could be a challenge or it could be a very short stay in the playoff when you're playing Oregon or Ohio state or, uh, you know, another team from the sec. Mm-hmm. All right. How about uh, Mississippi state, Stephen? first year under Jeff Levy. What are you most ex- uh, optimistic about here? Let's go with the transfer class that Mississippi state is bringing in because they are losing a lot off of last year's team that frankly, wasn't very good. I think a lot of that was due to coaching, but they're losing a lot and they went into the portal to get help right away. A couple guys that I, I think are worth spotlighting, I think number one is Blake Shapin. How good is he right away? If not, uh, is Michael Van Buren ready to play at quarterback? 
And also, I like Kelly Akari, uh, the receiver from UTEP, because he can stretch the field. And you know in these Baylor-style offenses, you need a guy that can split out wide, take the top off the defense to open some, some up some other things. They also brought in four offensive linemen, uh, and that's key because of some of the needs that they have. Mm-hmm. And, Stephen, I went a little bit different direction, but just how unwatchable, maybe not the right word, but how unentertaining Mississippi State was on offense last year. And even, may he rest in peace, never say anything bad about Mike Leach. But his offense was not the driving force for their success his last season there. They they were at times kind of, I mean, heck, they won nine games, so it's kind of hard to pick a, pick it apart. But it was it was more defense than anything. So I, I think why I'm optimistic if I'm a Mississippi State fan, Stephen, I think the offense, when it's clicking, is going to be so fun to watch. And it, this is similar to Tennessee and Ole Miss. I mean, this is the same similar system, what, obviously what Oklahoma had last year. When it's clicking, this is a, it, it just a, over the moon. You get excited watching this thing. It's almost like if you know you're going to be rebuilding and it may take some time, at least Mississippi State won't be boring and they they will be interesting because of the style on offense to where they could at least keep things uh, competitive. And I think that's kind of the equalizer for this team. Like they have to do something different given their personnel challenges. It is a hard job to begin with. This is kind of the perfect uh, style offense to do that with. Mm -hmm. So what is a concern? There's a lot through here but what what is a concern for mississippi state i was gonna say pretty much everything um because it's it's really all of the the new the new the transition right. on the coaching staff you also have um you know we mentioned shapen van buren can they find a consistent quarterback to execute that that high-powered offense so uh you look back at last year to your point they had one win in SEC play, and it was that seven to three uh, barn burner against Arkansas. <laughs> they really weren't competitive in the SEC outside of that. So um, there's a lot of transition and a lot of new here that has me concerned. That was one of those where you just burn the tape, even if you won the game, <laughs> right. and you just, never again will we watch <laughs> right. this thing. You know what? Yeah, no, yeah that was the uh, the Je- Jefferson Pilot Sports game of the year for the SEC uh, yeah. last, last year. <laughs> All right, Mizzou fans, Stephen, they're on cloud nine. They, It seems like they've never had it better, and I don't think they have in the SEC at least. What's uh, what's something that stands out to you, the most reason to be optimistic for uh, these Mizzou fans? I think outside of just general momentum in the program, how about the combination of Brady Cook and Luther Burden in the second year of Kirby Moore's offense? Uh, the jump that Brady Cook made – you know, we, we talked earlier about Graham Mertz and the development that he made. Brady Cook, you know, I I didn't think he was going to have this kind of season. He goes out there and ends up being one of the better uh, quarterbacks in the SEC. Now he's back with one of the SEC's better uh, receiving cores with an All-American and Luther Burden. I think that's a, that's a reason to be excited about considering some of the question marks on defense. Yeah, hey, I w- I'm going to go there as well, but I would also add – the schedule, only team in the SEC where their the their combined opponent records last year was a losing record. So, it's it, everything's lining up for for Mizzou to have a great season. But I'm I'm gonna go similar to you. I just have Luther Burton circled in red ink here because I think he could be the best receiver. I think he is the best receiver in the country. He may be the most 
dominant overall player in the country. And this is something that, you know, I think Mizzou's going to be a popular team next year, Stephen. Obviously, not, not just among their fans, but I think around the country, people that have no idea, never watched Mizzou, they're going to they're gonna tune in. They'll see the highlights. They'll see the clips on social media because I think Luther Burton's going to make some people look foolish, and they're going to gain a lot of fans. They're, they're going to be a popular team. They're going to be an exciting team. And I think Luther Burton's got a real opportunity. If Mizzou does what I think they can win, win 10 and 11 games, I think he's going to be a Heisman Trophy candidate. I really do. Yeah, I was going to say, what um, as we go into the 2024 season, I would assume that Carson Beck and Jalen Milrow and probably Dylan Gabriel of, of Oregon, along with Quinn Ewers, are probably your early Heisman frontrunners. But if you're looking for like a dark horse or someone that's not going to be probably picked by in that list, Luther Burden would be it. I mean, over a thousand yards last year, sort of all purpose threat, just dynamic with the ball in his hands. I mean, I think every Saturday when I watch games, it's almost like Missouri was fun to watch last year because they were so good, but it was also Luther Burden almost needs like his his own ISO cam where we can just see every play uh, <laughs> that he that he is involved in because he's so exciting with the with his hands on on the on anything whether it's receptions or rushing attempts or whatever. Right, but now we got to be a little. Negative here, Steve. What is one thing that that may be a concern? Gonna cheat here and give you two. Um, I think Missouri is losing what I would call some heart and soul guys in the program. You know, like Hopper, Robinson, Cody Schrader, all leaving, all seniors, instrumental to last year's uh, success. I think in the big picture, the defense would concern me if I'm Missouri. Um, there's still a nice foundation, but they're losing key pieces at every level. There's a new coordinator. How does it all fit together? How much? I would expect some regression, but how much? Um, the schedule and the offense kind of alleviate any concerns that you might have there, though. Right. Yeah, this may be a situation where we're late in the season. We don't we, we may not, I'm not saying they won't be tested, but it's it's almost like Georgia last year where the concern was we could get into November. We don't even know what we have in our quarterback. And that, again, Carson Beck was pretty awesome last year, but they, when they got in that SEC championship, I don't want to say he lost them the game, but he got outplayed. So, yeah, I, I, think, that's, I think that's a fair critique there. I think I was a little surprised that Corey Batoon was the pick as defensive coordinator from Missouri. I don't doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to work out. I think I just expected that there'd be a bigger name, but also a little bit of trust in Eli Drinkowitz to hire the right coordinator. He you know he promoted Blake Baker. Um, they also hired you know Kirby Moore last year. So his his recent coordinator hires have been good. Uh, so maybe it, it ends up working out. But schedule's favorable, explosive offense that sort of maybe takes down your concern a little bit if you're Missouri. Hey Stephen, did I didn't I just say I thought Luther Burton could be uh, a Heisman candidate here? Jeff says no respect for Missouri. <laughs> that ain't, that ain't respectful. Have they ever had a Heisman Trophy winner? Man, I mean, you know, Chase Daniel was uh, in the mix. Uh, you know, Brad Smith. Uh, we could, you know, I mean, oh my god. Hey, not to mention I have Missouri in my top ten for my right. preseason ranking. So <laughs> that ain't good enough, Steven. Good Top enough. five or bust. Right. Okay. All right. How about Oklahoma? So what's your most optimistic about here? I think I hate to, I'm going to cheat. 
So I apologize, Mike. But I'm going to say, first of all, the, the reason to be excited is Oklahoma is moving to the SEC. They're in the best conference in college football. I think of all the excitement of Texas making the playoff last season, they also forgot that Oklahoma got better too. They got a lot better in the second year under Brent Venables, which leads me to I am very excited to watch Jackson Arnold next season. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he was up and down in the Alamo Bowl. Some of that was you know, personnel losses, first start, whatever. So I am very excited to see the kind of development that Jackson Arnold can make because if he makes a big jump, as they go into the SEC, uh, some of the other concerns you have about Oklahoma can be alleviated. Yeah, on a similar vein, I went with this, Stephen. Jackson Arnold to Nick Anderson connection. Nick Anderson, anybody that missed it, SEC fans may not be familiar, freshman receiver for Oklahoma. He broke the the all-time Oklahoma school record for for single-season touchdown receptions as a true freshman. So, Jackson Arnold, if he lives up to the hype, to Nick Anderson, that could be one of the the best connections in all of college football next season. I'm very, very excited to see Jackson Arnold to Nick Anderson. How many touchdowns can they have in their first season as an SEC team? Yeah, like Nick Anderson is like the old, uh, you know, Chris Carter with uh, Chris Berman. (laughs) All he does is catch touchdowns. Like 10 of his 38 catches went for touchdowns. Keep an eye on Purdue transfer Dion Burks, if you're an Oklahoma fan. I think he could be an impact guy uh, right away, only adding uh, to Jackson Arnold's uh, weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, But what is a concern? And I, I think it, this one is kind of obvious for the Oklahoma Sooners. Offensive line. Yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, your, you know, your entire offensive line is basically gone. They brought in some transfers. They've had some guys they brought in last year. They're going to be counting on to play right away. The positive is Bill Bedenpaul, the offensive line coach, is one of the best in, in the nation. Uh, so they have a lot of questions, but they got the right assistant trying to find the right five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's exactly where I was going, replacing everybody on the offensive line. Not ideal in life in the SEC, but uh, we'll, we'll see how they stack up. All right, how about uh, South Carolina, Steve? What's something to be optimistic about there? Newcomers. I think a lot of um, intrigue with this transfer class that South Carolina has with Rocket Sanders filling a big-time need at running back. If he's back to the 2022 Rocket Sanders that we saw, you know, I think that's a that's huge for South Carolina's running game. But also, it's Lenore Sellers stepping up at quarterback, and they brought in um, you know Dylan Stewart and uh, Josiah Thompson too, the the two big-time recruits in this class. So. There's a lot of, I think, the core of young talent plus transfers at South Carolina is pretty promising. Mm-hmm. Now, how about this, Stephen? I, hopefully this makes sense. But I'm saying for South Carolina, every season has kind of gone against the grain, so to speak. I remember when Shane Beamer took it over, it was like, man, they, they may not make a bowl game for three or four years. They made it immediately. And then, of course, year two, the huge upset of Tennessee, backed that up by beating Clemson. I mean, that was just two – and they beat Florida. That was a big upset at the time. I mean, these were things that I, – no, I guess that was year one. But it, Tennessee and Clemson, those were huge upsets, and they, they went to a – not only go to a bowl, but a, but a better bowl than anticipated. And then last year, though, fell short of expectations. So – now we're going into a year where expectations will be low. And 
if they if that trend line continues and they they continue to to kind of go against the grain, maybe South Carolina sneaks up on all of us once again because whatever they did those first two years, maybe they get back to that and they can kind of overachieve if that makes sense. It does, and I th- I think it's also fair to to say they're probably due for some good luck because of all the injuries they had last season, difficult schedule, the schedule's still tough this year. Um, so I, I think to your point, like the bounces could go their way and they overachieved in year one where the expectations were low. And that's kind of the, the theme I think for South Carolina this year, I think they'll be picked pretty low. Uh, but if those newcomers quarterback hits, I think they got a chance to maybe surprise and get back to at least a bowl game this year. Stephen, how great is it? I know you're not paying attention to the, the comments like I am, but we, we got like a war going on here between Texas and Oklahoma fans on an SEC show. I love it. I, they're fit, I love it. They're, they're fitting right in already. <laughs> so so what is your biggest concern here for a South Carolina program? I think it's it still remains the line of scrimmage. You know, offensive line, defensive line, can they stop the run and can they mm-hmm. also protect the quarterback? Um, you know, they only had 16 sacks last year in SEC games. I know they sort of shifted their defense late in the season to do more three, three, five, but they got to get to the quarterback more and they've got to be able to protect and run the ball better, uh, this season. Yeah. I mean, simply put, this is true anywhere, but it's especially true in the SEC. If you can't stop the run, you had, you got no chance And, and they were just pathetic stopping the run. That has got to be shored up. Otherwise, heads on that coaching staff are going to roll. And and quite honestly, I'm surprised they didn't make more changes on the defensive staff after last season's results. It was very surprised that, you know, like to our discussion last week about coordinators on the hot seat at the middle point of the season where there was one of those halftime interviews where Shane Beamer seemed so frustrated with his defense. Surprised to see uh, Clayton White back. Um, You know, so I think, Fair to say he's squarely on the hot seat as they begin this year. Right. All right. How about Tennessee, Stephen? What's uh, something that stands out that that is most reason to be excited for them Vols? Nico. Uh, <laughs> I think, you know, I think he's one of the most um, anticipated, maybe one of the most um, highly touted breakout quarterbacks this year. If he is as good as most people think he can be, the offense is back to Hendon Hooker levels which gets Tennessee into the mix to be a playoff team this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of figured you'd go with Nico, Steven, so I, w- I was leaning somewhere else. I think the offensive line has a chance to really be special. Bringing in Lance Hurd from LSU to put him at a left tackle, John Campbell putting him more at his more natural right tackle, bringing back Cooper Mays, Spragans is back for another year. I mean, I think that is that is a potential. They've still got to figure out left guard, but there's the, there's options there that if they can solidify that one spot, I think this is going to be the strength of Tennessee's football team, which is only going to suit a a young quarterback, first year as a starting quarterback, with plenty of weapons. They're, they got good tailbacks, good receivers. If they can block, if they can run block like they did last year, Tennessee's going to be back to very, very, very dangerous on offense. It feels feels weird to say their running backs are going to be a strength considering who they're losing. But yeah, I, I think based upon everything we've seen and, and Tennessee's going to be just fine there. Brew McCoy coming back to 100%. 
But yeah. also, you mentioned the offensive line. You're solidified at maybe the three most important positions, left tackle, right tackle, and center, to protect your uh, your quarterback. So I think I would feel pretty good about the offense getting better for Tennessee this year. Yeah, and to your point, that this is why I say it could be special because those three spots are, are locked down. But I think probably the best offensive lineman they got is Spragans, the, the right guard. So if, if we're solidified at three spots, we got a great guard. Again, we just got to nail down that final one. And I, I think Tennessee is, could have one hell of an offensive line. But there are some concerns, and, and i got a good feeling where you go with the Vols. What, what's the biggest concern here? Defense. Um, you know, if you looked at the defensive numbers from Tennessee just on the kind of surface, um, you know, I think you drill down into SEC games and there was a little bit more of a concern. The numbers on the surface look good. But 5.7 yards per play in 2022 in the SEC, 5.8 last year. So there's been some progression, but now you're entering the fourth year under coordinator Tim Banks. I think this defense needs to take a step forward. You also lost Tyler Barron, uh, the secondary, a lot of new pieces coming in too. So I, I'll be curious to see how this group uh, performs early on. Yeah, it's got to be defense, and specifically for me, Stephen, defensive backs. It's kind of been a train wreck there, on and off for uh, for a couple of seasons. Uh, all kinds of new faces here. Shout out Slim, mentioning James Pierce. Hopefully that elite pass rush, you know, that kind of helps those defensive backs as they come along, particularly in their first SEC game on the road at Norman. It's not going to be an easy task, but if Tennessee can get after Jackson Arnold and kind of have their way with that new look uh, sooner offensive line that could be the uh you know the matchup that determines that game man at, early in the season jackson arnold versus nico speaking of high scoring <laughs> affairs uh could be really really entertaining just between the two quarterbacks and the question marks maybe on, on both defenses so um i i think you know to you know, to james pierce and you know i mean you look a guy gonna be probably i've seen some chatter about him potentially being the uh the first pick in next year's uh, NFL draft. He's certainly going to be a preseason All-American. So if you can get some pressure, it sort of alleviates uh, some of the concerns on the back end, but no doubt about it. I think Tennessee's offense is good enough to make the playoff. The question, if they can catch Georgia and some of these other teams, will be how far along this defense gets this year. Improvement. Mm -hmm. All right, how about Texas? There's so many Texas Fans already in here, Stephen. They're fired up. They got a reason to be optimistic. They're eyeing the playoff, not only the playoff, but the national championship. What has got you most excited about the Longhorns? How about trajectory? The fact that this program went from five and seven in Steve Sarkeesian's first year to making the playoff three years later. They're going to be picked as a preseason top five team. You've got Quinn Ewers coming back. Um, you also, I like what they did at receiver too. I know that losing Xavier Worthy and and uh, Ad Mitchell, Jatavian Sanders is huge, but I like Sil Silas Bolden, the pickup from Oregon State, uh, Matthew Golden too, Isaiah Bond. I mean, they they solidified their biggest question mark. They've got one of the best quarterbacks in the country returning. I think Steve Sarkeesian's got this program trending in the right direction as they come into the SEC. Mm -hmm. And I went overall talent and depth on both lines of scrimmage, which I think will serve Texas incredibly well. And if they do win the SEC, make the college football playoff and go far, it's going to be 
because of that depth, because of that talent they got on the line of scrimmage. I think that's going to be the difference there. Left tackle Kelvin Banks should be a preseason All-American, to your point. you know That's a group that's kind of grown up over the last couple of years uh, for Texas. I do have some concerns about their defensive line, but I don't – can I go ahead and get into <laughs> yeah. – like, so, Yeah, I, I'm a little cons- – I don't say concerned, but I think it is going to be a work in progress because their pass rush needs to be better. They're also losing Murphy and Sweat. Uh, on the defensive front. So there, there's some turnover there. I think the optimism is they have recruited so well that that there's so much talent. There's, there's going to be depth eventually that they should be fine. But I think the turnover on defense would be my biggest concern for this team. All right, staying in the state of Texas, Stephen, Texas A&M, a lot of buzz down in College Station. What's uh, the thing you're most optimistic about, about the Maggies? Mike Elko. I think... Uh, they've upgraded massively as a head coach who is way more organized, uh, better at player development. I think program building, if you're Texas A&M, you're in a much better spot than you were at this time last year under Jimbo Fisher. So I trust Mike Elko to take all that talent, all that potential, and turn it into results on the field. That's well, interesting. You went defense. Well, you went head coach, but that I consider that kind of defense. I because I went. We're going away from Jimbo Fisher offense and <laughs> having his hands in it. I know it was Bobby Petrino, and I know they got better, but still, his fingerprints were on it. Get him the hell away from the football, and I think could not be any more reason for excitement if I'm a Texas A&M fan. No question. I think Colin Klein is a uh, – I think we'll do a better job of adapting. I think he'll be better <laughs> better liked in the program uh, for Texas A&M. Yep. And you've got uh, a promising quarterback in Connor Wigman to uh, to build around. So things are things are definitely looking up in the offensive rooms at, uh, at Texas A&M. So, but what is your biggest concern now with the Aggies? How about pass defense? Um, you know, last year in six games that they played against teams with a winning record, they gave up over 300 passing yards a game. Uh, some of that can be skewed because, you know, shootouts, high scoring games. But still, I think we knew that p- pass defense and depth in the secondary was an issue. And it was only solidified when they brought in eight defensive backs from the transfer portal this offseason. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go to. Although I've got, I've got faith that Mike Elko and company can fix that side of the ball. So I'm very optimistic that we could turn that around. But until we actually see it, that is obviously a huge concern. So last but not least here, Vanderbilt, Stephen, what is your your reason for optimism? It, this this was a struggle for me. I am excited if I'm a Vanderbilt fan about Diego Pavia the quarterback transferring in from New Mexico state because earlier this off season after AJ Swan uh, transferred Ken seals, Walter Taylor, they were looking around the quarterback room to see who had any eligibility. <laughs> um, Damian Allen, maybe they were trying to find, see if he had any eligibility from the nineties still left over, but now they have a, a starter who can at least raise the floor at Vanderbilt. Uh, how does his play from Conference USA translate into the SEC is a fair question. He was great at Auburn uh, when New Mexico State played last year, and they had the same um, offensive coordinator. Tim Beck came over from New Mexico State to Vanderbilt. So I, I think at least they have a quarterback that makes them competitive on offense. Yeah, and so again, this may be a bit of a stretch, Stephen, but this is – whoa, 
There he is. He's here. <laughs> it's Jerry Kill. Jerry Kill's at my house, Stephen. That's why I'm excited. All right. He's not going to stop. But the fact that he turned around New Mexico State, Stephen, and they have brought him in Vanderbilt to help Clark Lee in that transition to build this program up, I, I'm – if I'm a Vanderbilt fan, if nothing else, I'm, I'm saying we got the expertise of Jerry Kill in here. No question. Jerry Kill has won uh, everywhere he's been as a head coach. And yeah, New Mexico State is one of the hardest places to win in college football. And the fact that he was able to get them competitive right away. I know he's not an on-field assistant, but at a place like Vanderbilt, someone who has a track record of maximizing uh, what you have, I think is a huge asset. So uh, any any kind of brain power you can add to a staff like that if you're uh, Clark Lee is a huge win. Right. And then I don't even know if I have to ask, Stephen, but what's your biggest concern with Vanderbilt? Defense. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I, I have been very surprised since Clark Lee arrived that their defense has been that bad. I mean, they have been yeah. last in the SEC in points allowed for three consecutive years, almost 40 points a game allowed in the SEC. Uh, for a guy who was a good defensive coordinator uh, at Notre Dame, that's pretty shocking to me. Right. And, and at times, Stephen, the offense has been exciting. There's been explosive plays. There's been solid uh, receiver play, running back play, at times quarterback play even um, under Clark Lee. So, I mean, I, I, I hate to bury him because I know it's it's such a tough job and clearly they were they did they had no NIL till recently and all this, but and, and so many laundry list of issues there that, that makes it difficult to be competitive. But do you think we are trending towards where we where where we may get to a point where we say Clark Lee, great defensive coordinator, but not head coach material. I think so. Um, last week, so last week when we did the hot seat, I had him as like a four inching closer right. to uh, to hot seat territory. I, I think there has to be some tangible progress this year. I think to your point, there have been flashes of it. It hasn't shown up enough consistently. And I think by year four, you would expect some of that to start paying off now it's a little different because of the nil and the transfer situation so you could almost build a team and let them take their their hits in year one and by two and three you see progress so i, I think it is a critical year because we get into that conversation of proof of concept momentum uh, if you're not winning games it gets harder to sell on the recruiting trail and mm -hmm. i think certainly i think for vanderbilt trying to do all the stuff it wants to do with um you know, facilities, donations start to dry up as well if you're not winning. Yeah. Well, Stephen, we hit on all 16 teams. Went over an hour, well over an hour here. Got any uh, closing thoughts before we wrap this one up? I'll I'll close with what we started with. I miss the old days of signing day, <laughs> the chaos and all that. Uh, but can you believe that spring practice is almost uh, right around the corner? I guess that's the that's the positive thing, right? Right, yeah. And I've said it before, Stephen, I'll say it again. I think spring practice gets more and more important every year with coaching turnover and now player turnover to the level that it is. 
you know, and with this portal reopening after spring, you know, it, there's really an emphasis on finding out where you're strong, where you're weak, where you need help, where you don't, so that you can kind of figure out those last couple spots in free agency. So, yeah, I mean, spring football is vitally important to the sport, but I think now more than ever, it is even more important, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And and I saw an interesting uh, quote from a a head coach on uh, signing day. It was Tony Elliott at Virginia and how worried he was about turnover in the spring because you're not going to see the amount of players entering the portal to replace them. So it'll be interesting to see like what, because obviously the SEC has its rule, you can't transfer within the SEC. The movement outside the SEC, the next couple months, not saying tampering, I'm just going to say like, you know, <laughs> networking, uh, teams that didn't fill their needs have a very short window to do so in the next uh, transfer session. So I think that will be, there'll be some urgency to start identifying guys and try to get them in quick. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Well, Stephen, I appreciate you. As always, jumping on here and, and, and going so in depth with me. Fun times, as always. Appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out, especially those on the live show. But, uh, oh, yeah, before we go, Stephen, of course, tell everybody how can they follow you? How can they find your work? You can follow me on Twitter at Athlon Stephen, and you can follow me on YouTube, all CFB365, Facebook, and Instagram, Stephen LCFB. I'll leave you with one little nugget. I've worked quite a bit uh, the last couple of days on some covers for the College Football Magazine for Athlon Ooh. Sports. So it's coming coming up fast. Yeah, well, can't wait for that, Stephen. And hey, we appreciate your shoelace appreciate $10 you. donation. Love the show. Appreciate you guys. We appreciate you, Shoelace, and Kyle and all the gang getting rowdy in the comments all for an hour plus. But uh, we appreciate you, and we'll catch you on the next one. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate, and the pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and Cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the Pirate, and the Pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State. Hey, buddy, this beer's for you.